Welcome to CinemaScope, a new podcast from True Story FM. Hi, I'm Andy Nelson, co-host of the Next Real Film podcast and Movies We Like. As a passionate movie lover, I've always relished exploring the diverse landscape of cinema. And when you look closer at the taxonomy of genres, subgenres, and film movements, you see an intricate web of interconnections and influences. This complex cinematic family tree spans only 125 years. So how did styles as diverse as the French New Wave, New Queer Cinema, and Ozploitation emerge? What cultural, economic, and technological forces sculpted these styles? And what hidden threads unite them all as part of the same fantastic art form? Those questions sent me on a journey to explore each style and trace their impacts, all to better understand the bridges between different styles. And that led me here to CinemaScope. In each episode, I'll be exploring one particular genre, subgenre, or film movement in depth, inviting expert guests to help us all better understand what defines that style, how it came to be, and what branches it, in turn, influenced on this big cinematic family tree. For example, how did German Expressionism shape American film noir? What's the difference between Westerns, Spaghetti Westerns, and Brazilian Nordesterns? We'll examine the economic and socio-political forces that birthed categories like black exploitation, and we'll spotlight visionary films and directors key to the evolution of different styles. So join me as we explore the complex forces that shape film's evolution and appreciate the diverse creativity possible in its relatively brief history. Let Cinemascope be your guide to understanding this art form we cherish how its genres blend, bounce off each other, and advance a rich tapestry of storytelling innovation. Together, we'll gain a deeper appreciation for this wondrous, shape-shifting medium. Our journey begins soon. Be part of this adventure by subscribing to CinemaScope today. You've all sacrificed so much to be here and be a part of this thing we're doing. This crew is made up of couples. It's the first ever large-scale colonization mission. We're making history here. You hear that? What? Nothing. This is the Next Reels Film Board on Rash Pixel FM. Each month, a gang of thugs gather together to spoil a movie that just opened in theaters. I'm Steve Sarmeno, and I guarantee you that I am not a product of the Wayland Corporation. Tonight's film board is communicating across the vast American West Coast, and because we don't have any atmospheric storms, we hopefully have clear communications tonight with our chief medic, and most likely to die first, Pete Wright. 
We don't leave Earth to be safe, Steve. And don't disobey his orders, Captain Andy Nelson. Excuse me while I pull these alien embryos out of my throat. Before we go any further, go check out all the fun stuff about this show and its sibling shows at thenextreel.com. Go subscribe in your favorite podcast app or join us on YouTube. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook at The Next Reel. And you can join the ongoing conversation of The Next Reel crew and fans over in Slack if you sign up to support us on Patreon. Yay, Patreon! So tonight... The crew of the colony ship Covenant, bound for a remote planet on the far side of the galaxy, discovers what they think is an uncharted paradise, but it is actually a dark, dangerous world. And when they uncover a threat beyond their imagination, they must attempt a harrowing escape. Ooh. Is that what <laughs> is that what we got? You know, like Prometheus, this one really frustrated me. I think it frustrates me so much because there are so many really interesting elements in the film that could be doing something great and making a really fantastic film that gives you a lot of things to think about, uh, excites you, thrills you. Um, but in the end, it just, I don't think that it gels at all. And it was, uh, it was a frustrating watch and weirdly it was also just very, um, uh, uninvolving. And, and I think that may be the thing that frustrated me the most is the fact that I didn't even have like a real thrill out of it. At least in Prometheus, I had, uh, the, the, um, the scene where she was, uh, you know, doing the abortion or the extraction whatever you're calling that. And it was, it was, it really had me on the edge of my seat. This one had a couple moments, but you know, in the climactic moments, there was nothing ever that got me really thrilled. So on the whole, um, I left this feeling, um, feeling a little frustrated. So I was right in my prediction that Andy's chest was going to burst open in anguish. Pete? <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I'm I, I'm there too. I, I think this movie makes me more sad than anything else. There are a lot of things in here that I, I really enjoy as individual elements, and uh, that's all great. But, you know, I the way I hear it from inter- various interviews, uh, you know, with people in and around Ridley Scott and and his, his you know, his team, and Ridley Scott, I think he even said this himself, that, that they added the alien to this film because there was so much blowback against Prometheus for being largely alien-free, right? I mean, it just was a very different movie than what fans expected coming off of the four other alien films in the universe. And 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 I, you know, I get the feeling that that was probably pretty frustrating for, you know, Scott and team, that that they were trying to ask some different and bigger questions of of the universe. And, and uh, it feels a lot to me like Ridley Scott's sort of midlife crisis movie. Like, we're going to go ahead and process the meaning of life here and where did we come from and dig some big big you know holes for ourselves and try to get out of them and uh and due to that blowback we come back to this let's shoehorn more aliens into it and so for me this movie was very much a double feature right there's the big questions part of the movie that follows on prometheus and there's the alien stuff and the biggest sin of the movie and the thing i keep hanging my hat on in spite of all the stuff i actually do like about it is that it wasn't scary. And I feel like that comes with some weight because I'm a guy who usually gets scared at scary movies. So I feel like I should know. And I was not scared at this movie. I went with my brother and my father-in-law and my father-in-law was just, he was so pumped. He was ready for something that was going to be really scary. And at the end, he's like, eh, it was sort of milk toast. And I, I have to agree, there wasn't that edge of your seat suspense and it set up all these things of all the tropes is I reflected and I thought the the basic you know sort of archetypical story they're telling is like the mad scientist you've got the crew that crash lands 
on a you know strange place. There's you know a weird environment and dangerous animals after them, and there's this mysterious savior that lures them back to his his you know fortress, and then they discover he's not really a nice person, and he's using them for his experiments, and they've got to flee and escape. And I thought that's that's a story that's been told a lot, and it didn't do a whole lot that was new with it, other than layering this alien framework on it. I didn't have that many jump scares or suspenseful, terrifying moments, which I expect from an alien film. And we get a, a lot of this philosophical piece around David that felt like, I think you're right, Pete, a, a different story. And I, I think that's the story Ridley Scott's trying to tell. And I, I think he tried to appease the audiences by like, well, I'm going to answer the question of where the alien comes from. I mean, we, we get that question now resolved without a doubt we know where this iteration of it comes from finally but it wasn't as satisfying as i think everyone was hoping that it would be it's i think it's a step up from prometheus but it's it's still not you know the fan pleaser that i think everyone hoped it would be and i think you're right ridley scott's got some some plan for what he wants to do and i don't think it's the direction that the fans want you know, from his movies anymore, or at least this franchise. Yeah, it feels very much like he is uh, trying to shoehorn this like philosophical conversation between uh, man and and their creator. And, uh, you know, this is something that he's really trying to uh, that that Scott wants to talk about. Um, and I just keep getting a sense that he's really interested in that idea and that theme but um, I, I don't know. I'm struggling with the fact that he's now kind of pushing all of that into the the world of Alien and and making those themes fit here because I just don't know how much I like that. I, I you know it's they're interesting ideas, the concepts about uh, the you know the creator and and kind of the way the the role that David ends up taking in this particular film, I think is pretty interesting. and and Michael Fassbender, certainly as David and Walter, might be my favorite thing in the whole film and just the conversations they had in the scenes very interesting stuff going on there um but uh, but again it that's the stuff that um i i found interesting but it also it didn't make for a great horror movie and i just don't think that um i i, I don't know i i'm i'm frustrated that scott not only um, returned to this world uh, that he started off in 1979 with Alien um, in Prometheus and now this, but also that he's planning on doing like two or three or four other films to kind of continue. And it just, I don't know, it's just very frustrating. Yeah, you know, that's a that that's a point that I, I feel like I really want to hang on because this is the irony. The stuff that I feel like didn't belong in an Alien film is the stuff that was the better part of this movie. Right. Like I would absolutely go see a movie with Michael Fassbender talking to himself about the meaning of life. Like he's this performance hung on him and the cast. In fact, uh, you know, I've I've been reading some critiques about the cast being bloated. There's too many people, whatever. I I actually didn't find that 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 was bothersome to me. It it was a little chaotic at times. And I feel like they had to to uh, resort to some rather sort of uh, crazy techniques to involve everybody on screen. It got a little bit too busy from time to time, I, but I didn't find myself totally distracted by that. The, the challenge that I had was when they really tried to amp up the horror part, like the thriller part in the, you know, the end of the second act, third act, and it just became a disaster and it, it just sort of fell apart in spite of great work that these people are doing on screen, right? I, I, I feel like 
I would see both of these movies, but when you slam them together, it's a high jump, low ceiling moment. Well, I think the the problem with this is, you know, going back to the source material, you had, you know, the original Alien film was sort of like the the closed room suspense, you know, horror film of you've got everybody confined in a finite space and there's a monster there. And that's all it's about. But now we're trying to create this much larger universe that, you know, logically makes sense with all these other films that other directors and writers have cobbled together in the eighties and nineties. And we, you know, the audience is looking for a way for how does this all make sense? What is this universe? And we're creating this like cinematic universe franchise off of material that I don't think ever asked for that. And the strength of alien is about those characters and not about this larger universe and these big philosophical questions. It was about how these different people react in the situation and whether they're going to survive or not. And there's elements of that in here that are interesting. I like some of the, the dynamic of the crew because we've got married couples on there because they're going to colonize this new planet. So you've got, you know, people that are in relationships with the other so they can populate this new planet. And I found myself after watching it Friday night going back online to look at all the the sort of like prologue videos because I avoided all of that before going to see the film. And there's interesting scenes with this crew on the ship before they go into deep sleep. We see with more, Elizabeth. Think, yeah, I think we see like James Franco has more screen time in that prologue than he does <laughs> in the actual film. And you you get the sense of the dynamics of of the crew of you know, he is the captain. We see his role there and we get a little bit more of a, you know, a sense of Orem as sort of the, the next in line and his relationship with the crew of how he doesn't fit in it. It starts there and we're we're missing all that in the film. And it leads me to, to wonder about how this all fits together because you've got the film, but you have all this supplemental material that I think is maybe just marketing fodder, but there's so much interesting story and character there that I wish made it into the film because for me, that's what I liked about alien so much is those interpersonal dynamics between, you know, you've got, you know, Tom Skerritt and Sigourney yeah. Weaver is sort of the command structure. And then you've got the, the blue collar guys. And, and that is interesting. And we have a little bit of that here, but it's left, you know, very flat, you know, it doesn't give us an opportunity to care about these people as much as I think I wanted to. The, the thing that I find so frustrating with these last couple films, uh, Prometheus and this, is uh, the characters aren't written very well. They're idiots. They're, and it's just, I don't understand why they're having such a hard time writing characters that make sense and do things that are logical. In the original films, the characters like were doing logical things within context of what they were setting out to do. And I enjoyed that. Here, I feel like they're struggling with trying to give characters like, you know, idiosyncratic quirks or things, but it's just making them dumb. I mean, you know, if you're going to go start exploring a new world, uh, you're not going to be flicking cigarettes out and, uh, you, you know, just they do these stupid things. And it's just like, who are yeah. these freaking idiots? You know, if you're a research party, you're not going to light up as soon as you land. I mean, it's, you're learning about a new environment. Ah, It's just... The it same was, it, thing in Prometheus. Oh, it just makes me pull my hair out. It was it, you shouldn't. You shouldn't do that at all. <laughs> no, I, uh, I've already. Look, I'm done. I, <laughs> 
<laughs> you've, uh, so you've seen this movie before. Look, uh, Alien, you know, and, and again, I've, I've already said it, it the, the number of people in the cast didn't necessarily bother me, but I think it's important to note that Alien, uh, this, the the intensity of Alien hung on the fact I I would suggest that there were seven people in that core cast, right, on that ship. There were seven. Dallas, Ripley, Lambert, Brett, Kane, Ash, and Parker, and then alien right so and i guess you could include mother but really seven of the core characters that we care about that we are we get to know uh we get to understand we get to really spend time with them and invest time with them uh in this movie i count 14 and that gets us to you know through rosenthal like it's and and i'm i'm counting fastbender twice right so that's a lot of characters that we have to um that that we sh- are expected i think and in, intended to uh, develop some sort of a relationship with. But I think that's one of the places where the film fails. It is extremely rushed uh, to to uh, move these people through the narrative. Uh, and so when we lose them, when, when they start falling off the radar, um, you know, I, I don't think we've had enough time to care uh, about any of these folks. So I, I really struggled with that, just feeling like they were trying to just shuffle me through. It felt much more like a ride at Disney, you know, than anything else. Like just get, get through, get on the ride, enjoy it and, and, and get out and, and never really have time to, to invest. But it's, it's two hours and two minutes. But see, that's what I mean. There's too many people. If you're going to expect to, uh, us to invest in each and every one, but they gave all these people names. That's too many damn names. <laughs> well, it's a lot of people. And I, I would argue that they're not wanting us to invest in all of them. But I feel like we're not investing in the ones that we're at least supposed to invest in. And I think that's that's my issue I have. Because, I mean, if you look at Aliens, I mean, there were a lot of characters in that one. I mean, we had so many military people that, you know, you're. I mean, when Warspowski all of a sudden gets killed, you don't know, you can't, can't remember who Warspowski is, but uh, it's, it's you just know it's another name. And But somehow I end up caring about so many of the characters in the Aliens film um, and I care about so few of them here, and it is still a large cast. I just don't think they're written very well. Yeah, I, I would. I guess I would agree with that. I think the context is different when you're talking about this this ship full of married couples. You know, like there there is a different kind of relationship that we are, are coming than than when you have like a bunch of soldiers. We have our primary characters, and there's one main soldier that we need to understand, and there's one administrative officer. The core cast that we really care about in Aliens is much smaller than fourteen. They gave everybody names. They we had. Everybody had kisses in the corner. Like anytime you see a couple kiss and it closes up on the on them, you know one of them's going to die, and you you should be able to keep track of that. Like it, it was just telegraphed really poorly, and um, and and I think that that um, I, I really think they wanted us to keep track of more than we were capable of keeping track of. It was just too big. Let's let's step back and, and sort of I guess look at what this story is. If we if we go back. Because we're we're all in the middle of everything, trying to connect it back to anything. But if we look at the story that they're trying to tell, so if we look at our first shot, which is we've got the, an extreme close up of David's eye, and we we are now back pre Prometheus, we're at the you know creation of of David. That's where we start. We've got a short scene there, and then our closing shot, we've got David again. And it's it's really his story. I think between Prometheus and this, we're getting an arc about that character and everybody else is, you know, either cannon fodder to be chewed up by yeah. the alien 
you know, there, I think that's really what Ridley Scott's trying to do here. And he's, he's using the, you know, familiarity of the alien universe to sort of create some dynamic tension and, you know, action sequences, but it's really about where David starts the mission that he's given at the beginning that we see here of like, you know, trying to find humanity, trying to find its creator. And he takes that mission and just keeps it's, it's what's propelling him through both of these films. Well, and it's of course, you know, a little, maybe a little on the nose, but of course at, at the very end, as we end, he's playing uh, Wagner's entrance of the gods into Valhalla yes. as, as yes. he has now become the creator, right? Yes, exactly. So I, I, you know, looking at, okay, what is this story trying to tell? Because anybody that's, you know, sort of in between that is, you know, it, there may be some interesting stories to them, but it's not really what our takeaway I think is or what the intended takeaway is. What's this larger arc? So do you think that, that he, that, that Scott intended us to keep that narrative or that central sort of question about David and his journey to uh, ascension, do you think Scott intended us to keep that in mind through the course of our two-hour experience with these people? I think it's pretty transparent. Yeah. I mean, it seems like that's it's right there in front of us the whole time. I mean, we, we get that as our opening scene, and then, yeah, he disappears for the bulk of the film. When he shows up as our, as our mad scientist, we sort of see what he's been doing for these past 10 years, and I think that brings us you know, to bring us back around to what his quest and objective is, um, sort of as this now deranged scientist on this mission to create sort of the perfect, you know, creature and what his purpose is. But I think all the philosophical pieces in there, I think it, it just muddies the waters because I'm not sure how I'm supposed to feel about it. I don't have feel like there's a point of view that I'm supposed to feel is David this, you know, somebody we're supposed to root for as carrying on the mission of, you know, the whatever engineers, if they created humanity and humanity's created David and it's sort of a continuous improvement process. Are we always creating something better than ourselves or striving to, you know, what does it say about what he's created that, you know, the xenomorph, what are we supposed to, how are we supposed to feel about that? Um, you know, what is it saying about, you know, man's quest for meaning, uh, you know, an artificial intelligence? We see the difference between David and Walter, how they take away that ability to create because they're too human. So in, in the, the Walters, they don't have that ability to create. And I just don't feel that there's enough to give me the, the cues as to how I'm supposed to feel or what he's trying to tell us about this David story arc. That's that's really what I was thinking. I I think that that you know when I asked the question, does he want us to keep this in mind the whole way uh, across the narrative of the film? I think you're right. I think it is. It it's you know the elements are in front of us, but it's clumsy and it's clumsy enough that it doesn't feel like he has sewn up the story by the time we reach the closing shot of of David walking through the the um, the colony ship and uh, like we've been through an awful lot to get here. Uh, but I'm I I still feel unsatisfied at the path that I took. It, it was not a rewarding path. No, it's it's him taking this path of of storytelling that uh, that he wants to do. I mean, and and yeah, I think I think that is exactly what he is intending. What Ridley Scott is intending in in telling the story this way. But I don't think it's working. Um, and I think it's going to be uh, very frustrating as this series continues. He has, you know, I, I think he's made a big stumble in taking the George Lucas midichlorian route um, to 
to tell these stories. Yes. Oh, yes. And that's, I, I think that's just, uh, for me, it's just getting more and more frustrating as he continues. What does work in this film? Because I, I know I, I enjoyed pieces of it and I, Pete, I think you said there are parts of it that you enjoyed. So, I mean, we've been hammering on the flaws in this film, but what are the things that are, that are working well in the film that makes this, is it, is it entertaining? Is it something you're going to return to? What, what does work or is it a complete waste? There, there are interesting things. I mean, the stuff you know with between David and and Walter. I think those there are some interesting conversations to be had there. I actually think that the uh, the scene I found most uh, interesting um, in regards to one of the uh, the xenomorphs or the neomorphs, whichever one it was, is uh, is when um, the uh, uh, Billy Crudup's wife takes that one idiot back to the the their little dropship. And you've got that just kind of tense situation between the three uh, the three humans there as that alien is birthed. Um, that I, I think there was some interesting stuff going on there that um, you know that uh, could have uh, been a little stronger, but I still enjoyed that. Um, some of the characters um, weren't too bad. Uh, I, uh, you know, Danny McBride was kind of an interesting uh, bit to throw in here, and I liked that. Um, I, I like that there is this bigger world that is being, uh, you know, developed. I just, I, like Pete said, it feels very much like there's two movies happening here and I, I kind of want to see both of them, but as separate films. And I think that's, what's frustrating. I liked the bits of David dropping the, uh, the, the canisters of the, the, the virus on, onto this society of these engineers. I mean, right. I, I, I want to see more of that stuff. I, see, I want to talk about that scene because that really pulled me out of the film because we David was narrating that to Walter about what happened, you know, 10 years ago. And we're basically getting a flashback, but what we're not getting, we're not getting what David's told us. We're getting what actually happened that he dropped the canisters, destroyed, you know, all the engineers. And it, it felt out of place because I'm like, Everything else is we're there as like omniscient viewer. And all of a sudden we're now like in David's memory of what actually happened, which was sort of jarring for me because it's, it would make sense if what I'm being told matches with what I'm being seen with, with what I'm being shown, but I'm getting something different. And it, to me, it felt, I don't know, a bit contrived. Like this was a scene that maybe hadn't been intended for the beginning of the film, you know, maybe more chronological to see what happened. But, that scene really bothered me because it just didn't fit with how the rest of the film was presenting itself. Well, and I should, I should clarify. I'm not saying that these scenes um, didn't bother me in one way or another. That, that scene certainly did bother me for the exact same reasons, but what was happening within that scene, I found so intriguing. I like there's, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening there. And that's, that's why I'm frustrated with the film is because I like so many of these pieces. I just don't think they were used well. This is a this is a problem I had with that scene too, and it's it's overall with the the film and the franchise that I'm really finding myself struggling with, and that is, I wonder what it would be like if we were introduced to a world in any of these alien movies where it had it was finally clear to the universe and beyond that in fact 
these creatures exist and they're horrible, right? Every (laughs) single movie is a stinking origin story, and I'm tired of it. Like, oh, look, the ship is traveling through space, but we've got to check out that one thing right there, and (laughs) there's aliens on it. You know, this is an incredibly familiar thing, and um, and and I'm I, I found myself really struggling with it. What I liked about that scene, and what I found hopeful about that scene, is that there was a point in the prequel verse that, in fact, a civilization knew all about this stuff, right? That this was a thing that that existed in the world. They knew what what they were doing, whatever they were doing that came off of Prometheus. We, you know, is there ever a chance we'd get to explore more of that? Because that I'm interested in. Uh, and then. David kills them all, and now we don't get that. And so I'm, I'm really frustrated by that. I would love to see the next Alien universe, uh, or the Alien uh, story, start with a, a, a story where we don't have the, the Cassandra. I mean, that, that was Ripley's entire gestalt, right, was the Cassandra complex. She's the only one who, has, who, who knows what this is, and nobody believes her until it's too late. That's the, they all think she's nuts. That's her thing. Now, what is the new thing that we're going to get? What is the new thing that that's going to give us something interesting to look at in this world? And this just it it just every corner it it, it turned it it was it, it didn't execute on that. Now, what did I like? I do want to get back to that question. Uh, I I really think that the character performances, in spite of script challenges, in spite of the you know having too many characters to actually feel like we have an emotional connection with, the the character performances were uh, really quite good. And in fact, Michael Fassbender, uh, you know, as you guys have both said, I mean, Michael Fassbender was terrific in this. He was really interesting to watch. Had he not been in it, I would have really struggled. I think. Uh, And I was deeply surprised by Danny McBride. I I don't know what I expected, but I really enjoyed it. Uh, I thought he was he was really fun to to see and hear. He was like, what was the guy? What was the guy in the abyss with the the big bearded guy who ran the crane? And oh yeah, uh, you know what I'm talking about. I liked him too. And it, it's a very similar kind of character trope. And and uh, I I really enjoyed it. I think uh, I think a lot can be said for for the characters on uh, for the cast. The whole David and Walter performances for Michael Fassbender really carry the film and make it worth seeing for that. Although because. Because he's doing a British accent and an American accent, and when I hear him do his American accent, I'm immediately cast back to you know the movie Frank because of the American <laughs> accent there. <laughs> and it, it bothered me at first. I'm like, why does he sound like he sounds familiar? Oh wait, Frank. Okay, he's not gonna he's not gonna start singing and put on a big paper mache head, right? Okay. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was listened to a I listened to a, a Nerdist podcast, and he and he was being interviewed with uh, with Danny McBride um, and. That was so crazy because I don't think I've ever actually heard Fassbender speak in his his native accent, and it is not like anything I've ever heard him do on screen because it's not British, uh, it's 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 Irish. Like he's he's Irish, but born in Germany, moved to you know. So I mean, he's he's been all over the place, and so his accent is a complete hodgepodge. Uh, and and I think that that is probably what gives he's got an incredible ear, and and that gives him yeah. I think a lot of flexibility um, to to do these things. And in spite of how much we think uh, Walter sounded uh, like Frank, he sounded different than David every scene, and that yes. is that we absolutely have to call that out because that's really hard to do. Yes, no, I mean I think that's just you know his you know expertise you know yeah. in. Everybody, you know, in, in Prometheus, you know, for him to play, you know, sort of the synthetic, the android and how he he pulled that off. And then now to do two variations on that, 
uh, is, is really interesting because you've got Walter, who's sort of your u- utility, you know, droid there. And then David, who's that almost like Hal, you know, f- from 2001, the yeah. one that's gone a little off, you know, and doesn't quite realize that he's gone askew, uh, sees, you know, logic in his madness. Um, but there's a sort of that that calmness under the insanity that makes him scary, um, which, I, and which I think comes through really really well and this um i I will say regarding him though that i was bothered that they also pulled the uh the cliche of oh it's a fight who oh but we're gonna cut away before we know yeah yeah and then it's like and then it it was so infuriating because it's like well of course it's gonna end up being david even though he had to cut his arm off so he looked like walter and fake it um, it, it just sets this thing up that is silly. And, uh, you know, I was talking about it with my wife afterward. I'm like, if they're going to pull that, I mean, it's so, it's such an obvious trope. Why don't they at least just show it to the audience? So we know, but then the other characters don't or something. So at least it just felt different and not just like the tired old cliche that it was. I, I wrote in my review that covenant in particularly in the third act is a poker game where all the players are holding their cards face out. Like this yes. film telegraphed. <laughs> everything in the, especially yeah. in the third act every corner and please how many times do we have to off another cast member on the kill floor like the number of shots back to a character with their gun drawn coming through the curtains into the little laboratory the bio samples like underground cave of horrors I, it was it actually i was bored by that the number of times people went to okay it, it, it just wasn't sinister no it wasn't at all even, but but that was the thing about the whole film. It never felt sinister. I mean, the other alien films had me on the edge of my seat. Um, this one, nothing. It was flat. I yeah. mean, you get that last bit of the alien. I, I don't know what happened to Catherine Waterston's character, uh, but all she goes from like you know having her husband killed to she's just a tough badass who's gonna take care of this thing. And uh, you know, it just it wasn't interesting. I mean, she there's she has no qualms. She, not a second thought about running out onto the the top of the ship to try to shoot it off. Um, likewise, when they're tracking it down in the hallways, I mean, there's, there's, she's just running at it full steam ahead. There's no fear. There's nothing. And it just takes everything out. I mean, it's really flat the whole time. That though is a, is a symptom of just terrible third act, right? I mean, because I, for the most of the movie, I actually found I liked her. I find she has a, uh, like an intense kind of a charisma. I think she was doing good stuff on screen. I like her sort of, uh, the way she was uh, interacting with Billy Crudup. And, um, and, and so I, I was really interested in, in his sort of in the, the, his role kind of being the faithful leader and in their interaction, uh, and but you're right. I mean, as soon as we we get into the big final set piece, it just goes all crazy and uh, absolutely insincere and unbelievable. It, it, they, they try to turn her into Ripley in the third act. But early on, when she's got her, you know, uh, when they have their dispute about whether to continue on or to follow this you know, mysterious signal to this planet that you know, for some reason wasn't on their scans, but looks like a, a better option for colonization. And she's like fervently objecting, you know, and he's like trying to do something to keep the crew happy because he doesn't have their allegiance. You know, he, he gives them a command. They violate his command. It's not a big thing, but you can tell he, it rubs him the wrong way. So he wants to do something to win them over. And, and she's like flatly refusing. And I thought, what is her big objection to this and I had to go back and realize, okay, it's this whole thing with her, you know, commitment to her husband to build the 
the cabin on the lake on there to sort of continue that legacy. We had to give her some reason to push back against this. So there was some, you know, some conflict about whether or not to go there so that, you know, he could have his moment of like, Oh my gosh, I made this huge mistake. He's questioning his leadership abilities. Again, there's the character pieces, but then by the end we get, it was like this really sharp cut to we're now, you know, Act three, we're back on the main ship and oh, wow, there's an unknown, you know, presence on the ship. Let's go through the hallways and hunt it down and shoot it out the airlock again in a different way. It was just a retread of that. And to me, it was, yeah, they tried to leverage her knowledge of the whatever the terraforming machine or tractor or whatever it it was but that was <laughs> sort of her it was ridiculous my turf oh yeah exactly so it was you know clearly something <laughs> she was responsible for because we see earlier on she's got to secure it and you know okay we're introducing this machine where is it going to show up you know in act three but it, it just didn't follow I, di- I didn't get that transformation of her character to this you know the badass hunting the alien down in the hallways. Well, and and you know what, her years of engineering education that were displayed on screen in her opening and closing a door on a truck. Yeah, like that yeah. was not that was not the <laughs> sort of emotional weight that I sort of hoped no. for. You know, here's the interesting thing: we're t- we're talking about the four most memorable characters that we've named. You've got Michael Fassbender, you've got Catherine Waterson, you got Billy Crudup, and Danny McBride, who are enjoyable in their you know in certain ways, but Still, they're not working together. They're memorable because I think we spend more time with them. But, yeah, there's still issues with these characters. I mean, Danny McBride is Tennessee who's, you know, worried about his wife and is going to take the ship, you know, the their lifeline to survival. I, he's going to take it into the storm to risk Ugh, everybody. That was dumb. Even that all was the another idiot. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, and that's that's kind of you know that's sort of what we get with the with the crew, right? I'm, is right. It, yeah. it was generally over emotional, and I think it was just amped up. You know, my sense of it is all of this is amped up because this is a Noah's Ark story, right? We we have to be right. in pairs, and what happens when we're not in pairs is tragedy and we're going to amp that up to 11 because of you know that's what we need to do to show it on screen and i i wasn't crazy about that either that whole sequence of him and and them trying to talk him out of it it was just ridiculous speaking just to characters and to the story and just kind of everything i just feel like i mean if you look at at, uh, there were a couple things that that happened in this that just really threw me um into this um headspace thinking about how Ridley Scott tells films and how he told alien and how, how patient he was telling his, uh, telling the story in that particular film. I mean, just the opening, you get those really slow, uh, uh, tracking shots through the ship. You see it kind of waking up. You see the little, the bird dipper thing that's dipping its beak in the water, all that sort of stuff. And everything is just, has this beautiful pace and everything. And it's just like now he's just given up on all of that sort of, uh, you know, patience that he used to exhibit in his films and i mean he has similar shots in this one i mean you're zipping through the hallways and stuff and and you see the little bird and everything but everything feels like it's on fast forward it's just moving so fast the cuts are fast i'm like did you notice i feel feel like he felt that way he treated his characters that way everything he just treated that way let's just cram it all in there and just move on through there was a there was a signal there andy did you notice how fast the alien covenant titles bars faded in like 
in the movie Alien, that was that was incredibly slow. And I'm watching this right. thinking, wow, why does he he just doesn't want to en- us to enjoy this? Like it was a beautiful spacescape, build some intensity here, uh, but it yeah. just rushed through. They just boom, 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 boom. Oh, look, Alien Covenant. I felt like I was watching a Star Trek movie. I exactly that was what the same thought went through my head. <laughs> so funny. <laughs> well, he t- he's got a lot of places to take us. I mean, we've got we've got our little prologue that we're on the ship. We're on, so we're on the covenant, then we're on the planet, then we're in the Prometheus, and then we're in the big, you know, engineer city, and then the, and then back. So we're, I mean, we're in so many places. There's so much story. As we said, we're trying to cram it all in there. Um, so yeah, that's, it, it feels rushed. But thinking about all those places, all those settings, let's talk about the cinematography, about the look and feel of this film, because it's, Interesting that we have, I think, perhaps one of the first times we have the alien outside in daylight, because usually it's like dark corridors or, you know, in Alien 3, it's, you know, the the prison planet and the hallways. Here, it's like they're running around outside in fields, the little neomorphs. We've got the xenomorph, you know, the fight outside the ship, like in daylight. It's a different look and feel for this type of film because it was much lighter. We, We have moments of darkness, but... You know, when they're in the fields, it almost reminded me like Jurassic Park, uh, you know, two or something where it's like we're we've got our crew tromping through the jungle, uh, you know, discovering, you know, you know, weird creatures. It had a different feel to it. So, I mean, is that look sort of appropriate for the franchise or is it giving us something again that we're not wanting out of this? I think that's exactly it. I think that it's it's the this it's the. The split, it's this, you know, bastardized version of this story, of these two stories that uh, don't blend well together. I mean, same thing with Prometheus. I think the look of this one definitely fit with Prometheus, but I think everyone was kind of wanting that alien story to really start coming back to the forefront. And, you know, I mean, by the time we're getting chases through the dark hallways in the ship, it just, you know, it's not interesting anymore. You know, I, I love Darius Wolski's work as cinematographer, and, and, you know, I was a big fan of The Martian, and, uh, I, you know, if, if people ask me, what do I think of Prometheus, I always start with the first five minutes. Like, it is it is gorgeous, uh, the way he treats and, and captures nature and the whole dissolution of the, the engineer into the waterfall. I mean, I just find it a, a beautiful experience to watch, and... Uh, like you say, Andy, it it is not it doesn't fit with the expectation, and I think my challenge is that it's so everything is so clean. I mean, this goes to production design and uh, you know the general effects and the the whole sort of experience of watching the film. Everything's really stays pretty clean, and they make incredibly poor use of darkness. Like, yeah, there's some dark stuff. Caves are dark because we expect them to be dark, but there is no point where they use darkness as a way to amp up the scare, the thrill, the sinister nature of the experience we're going through. It just feels like I like you say, Steve, you know, we see the aliens so much out in in the open, and I find that incredibly challenging. I did not like it. I think it it pulls away from uh, the uh, the aesthetic. 
of uh, that allows me to engage in something scary. Uh, I, you know, particularly the last run across the the uh, the the courtyard. You know, where the full grown alien is is galloping uh, toward the the loading skiff. Uh, it was it was comically ridiculous. It was something I discussed with my brother. You know, sort of the CGI and again the the cleanness that you get on a digital effect versus when you're working practical effects. If we talk about sort of the iconic chest burster. In the original one, it it you see it emerge from the chest and then it, it quickly dashes across. And here it's got this like stretching its limbs out and it's it's oh, like yeah. so clean. You know, it's like you could see the skin is sort of translucent and it's got like metallic or silver, you know, skeletal structure, but it's just it's not covered in, you know guts and goo and blood it sort of just emerges and is like celebrating itself arms up raised and i thought what is that doing what that's not yeah what how these things are supposed to behave and then the the face huggers too you know the they worked well practical effects in alien and aliens and i think when the the one scene where it run the two guys are going down and it sort of scurries up the steps and latches on they pry it off his face and the, the ass is eating through there were moments where i was like you've done the practical ones before they look good why are you giving us you know cgi ones scurrying across you know walls or or whatever it just didn't mm-hmm. you know it it wasn't necessary because we're willing to accept what we've seen before. The thing that I really, I, I didn't like about it is, first of all, I think they showed us the alien too many times. And, uh, you know, in the original film, even in Aliens, when they when they are born and they scurry off, we don't see them for a while. And so when yeah. they grow, we just are left with that lingering thing in the back of our he- heads, like, hey, these things grow pretty fast. But they showed us this full, like, shaped alien in right. bursting out yeah. of the chest. And... The number of times we keep coming back to that alien, we come back to it so many times that it starts to get confusing. Like how what are, how many aliens are we chasing here or are are hunting us? Uh, what you know, it starts to look just ridiculous. I'm totally with you. Without because they didn't change the form of the alien, it came out of the chest sort of fully shaped. Yeah. A counter to when it bursts out in in Alien, it comes out as kind of a squiggly kind of squiddy monster, right? Yeah. Uh, with the with the head, but it's mostly just a tail and the. It's like a more right. of a larva, and it scoots off on, into the bar. That that uh, I, I think it just it ends. It was a, a terrible choice for the design of the character to give us the fully shaped alien so early, yeah. coming right out of the chest. I thought it looked really silly, especially if this is supposed to be a prequel and leading to that. I mean, right. uh, the the evolution of it, or I shouldn't say the evolution, but the the metamorphosis of it once the the face hugger latches on. Um, all the way through the the full uh, adult size xenomorph. I mean, it was happening in like what less than an hour. Like I, I don't right, know how yeah. quickly it was going. And by the time you get to Alien, I mean it's much slower. I mean the face hugger seems to be on for uh, oh, days. days, hours if not days. days. Like, right? Yeah. And then and here it's like what forty five minutes. <laughs> yeah, it's like yeah, that. Yeah. yeah. And then yeah. and then in Alien, remember they're walking around the hallways and they find like a shedded piece of skin as if yes. it's actually growing and shedding. And I mean, it made right. sense. Yeah. Now all of a sudden, it's like, what is this thing doing? Why is it full sized all of a sudden? I mean, it's just, uh, it's just nonsense. I, you know, I, mean, I, I I will say it to the to that point when you when you step away from the actual alien creature and go back to the spores that were early it, earlier in the film as they kind yeah. of tripped over the little spores and they they kind of flew around in the air and went into his ear. I I thought that 
was really compelling. And I wanted to see more about how the about this alien as kind of a virus. I thought that was really cool. But they they like everything else in this film, they jammed that intensity right in the microwave and just played it fast forward. So yeah. here we go. Within a couple of minutes, now we've got violent acne bursting on that guy's back, and he's like they're coming apart. And now they're full grown alien creatures in the course of about ten minutes. And and it takes all of the the kind of satisfying like. Uh, jump and chills, uh, chill factor right out of the scene. I, it was, but I, I did like crazy. the design of those. What you know, you know, oh, the, yeah, you know, yes. emerging out of the back, the spikes, and then sort of you know, flopping on the ground there. And we see two of them, you know, yeah, the design of those sort of albino neo xenomorphs is I thought was really interesting. The spores we have on the planet, and you know, the fact that the crew comments that there's no. Like animals, I'm thinking, okay, and we see that David's been experimenting. When they set off that homing beacon, I thought like tons of them were going to come out of the forest or whatever because he's been experimenting on, we see various, you know, iterations of this. And if these spores are out there, I thought, where, where are the rest of them? That over the past 10 years, he, you know, because he apparently, you know, he fires off that, you know, whatever flare or whatever that scares them away. And at first I'm thinking, oh, okay, he's been here. He's you know, knows how to defend himself against these things and scare them off. So I'm expecting, you know, he's in his fortress, like, and there's, you know, roaming, you know, hordes of these things out there. But we we have the two that emerge from the crew and then the one from in the basement there. And that's it. I'm like, well, then what happened to all the animals? Especially if you look at like uh, one of the posters for this, it looks like, you know, this this really interesting image of just like a wall of aliens. I mean, it's oh, just yeah. this really creepy image that, yeah, it leads to kind of thinking that there are going to be a lot more of these things running around. Um, I, I mean, going back to the viruses and, and that, I, I really did like that as an idea. And I do like the idea of these these kind of being this virus. And I mean, it, you even get some of that in Alien 3 where it goes on to a dog and you get a much more dog-like alien. Right. I think oh, that's yeah. a really interesting element. And I loved that they had kind of, I don't know if they devolved to, since there were was no more life on the planet, they basically devolved to, well, we're just going to be spores because that's you know all that we really can do now. And, and then as they kind of spread, they kind of evolve into other things. Um, it's, it is really interesting stuff, but... Um, again, just just misused and, and used too quickly in so many ways. See, it, that is a movie I would watch, though, and it's a perfect oh, movie absolutely. for a big cast, right? You get rid of the, the the fully grown aliens, and let's instead talk about, you know, alien as this virus that destroys, and we can watch these people come apart over the course of two hours, I would be really interested in that. And this is the perfect time, culturally resonant, to have that kind of a movie. Instead, it, it just went—I I wish— I wish more than anything else that I could go back in time before I knew what the damn fully grown alien looked like. Now that I know what it looks like, it's just silly. It's just silly. The head is the most interesting thing on it, the head and the tail, and Alien uh, was a movie that absolutely capitalized on on not showing me all of the Alien uh, and showing it in such a dark and obscured way that I never quite got my head around. Now I, I know what the fully grown thing looks like. Show me something new. Absolutely. Yeah. I yield my time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We've been talking a lot about, you know, movies and themes in the scores. And so I've been listening to to the, the score for this one. And actually I've been enjoying it. I I I don't have as good an ear as Andy to identify, you know, themes and I haven't listened back to I, I don't recall. There's not like an iconic alien 
you know, theme to to the movies. But I, I did appreciate in this one, and I think it was sort of playing to, you know, the musical instruments that, that David has created. There's a lot of, you know, wind instruments throughout the score that add sort of a sort of creepy otherworld atmosphere. But I thought tied into, you know, hit that scene between David and Walter showing him, you know, how to play a musical instrument, how to create something. And so I thought that worked well. It, it, other than that, you know, listening to it, I'm like, oh, wow, I really enjoy this, but I can't peg it to any specific scenes or like, oh, this, you know, this moment really played, music played really well to that. Other than, of course, we've got the, the Wagner, you know, as, as David enters into where, you know, he's going to do his work with his, you know, new little alien embryos. Um, I don't know if there was anything else that uh, you may have noticed about the score. Well, Jed Kurzel, uh did the score and uh, he's, uh, I believe, an Australian uh, composer and uh, just musician um, who recently did The Babadook and Slow West and Assassin's Creed, uh, also with Fassbender. A, an interesting choice. He actually ended up replacing Harry Gregson Williams, um, a recent speakeasy guest yes. um, who had been working with Ridley Scott a little bit more recently. Uh, I, I, you know, what I enjoyed about it is that there was more integration with music from some of the other films. Jerry Goldsmith's uh, theme from Alien uh, comes in quite a number of times, which was really nice to hear. Also, he pulled some of the themes from uh, from Prometheus, um, which which I did like. I liked that everything was kind of blending together. Um, the thing that frustrated me the most about that is there's um, a beautiful theme that Mark Streitenfeld wrote for Prometheus. That for this frustrates me so much in movies, and I just I, it, I I don't understand the logic because David on his little wind instrument he's playing the theme that Mark Streitenfeld wrote for Prometheus. I know. What did David pull up the score from the movie and listen to it to play it? It's like it's so I, oh, ridiculous. That's, that's shot. I have a tin oh. ear. I didn't even catch that. So well, okay. listen to yeah, listen yeah, to okay. The, I think on the on the Prometheus soundtrack, it's the open. You know okay. that's that's pretty common. I guess you guys don't remember when uh, Dreyfus was out on the boat singing da dum da dum da dum da dum da dum da 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 da. No, it happens all the time. <laughs> no, it happens, but it's an illogical thing, and it's just stupid when people do that. I don't it is understand. Really the stupid. Yeah. One last thing that I, that I was thinking about, it was really interesting that they started introducing some of Jerry Goldsmith's themes because this is kind of a prequel and it's leading up to it and we get more of the alien and the creation and everything. But I was wondering, you know, when John Williams went back to do the prequels, I mean, he found really interesting ways to take themes and and kind of develop them in a backward way so that he could kind of build them into the themes in the uh, in episodes four, five and six. I really liked that. I didn't quite get that here, and that was one thing that I was I was hoping I'd hear a little bit more of once I started hearing some of Jerry Goldsmith's themes. Was oh, is he is there going to be a way that he's going to take that and kind of evolve it in a way where it'll kind of continue developing into what we're going to know as oh. the. But I didn't catch that, and that was something. As much as I enjoyed hearing those themes, I, I was a little disappointed that I didn't hear that. I, the same thing can be said for um, you know a little bit more blatantly. I think Michael Giacchino has a has kind of an ear for that sort of thing, and has worked on a lot of these you know prequelish thing show uh, films. Uh, and and I really like it. I wish I I was thinking the same thing, Andy. I, I really did. But to your point, I I think he did a, a really fair job, Kurzel, at at making this sound like an alien score. I do agree with. I went Friday night, seven o'clock and the theater was like half full, which surprised me because 
it's an alien movie and it's it's it should be drawing in big crowds i would hope or maybe prometheus killed off you know a lot of the the interest in this how was it where where you saw it i i saw uh, imax i just saw it today uh, kind of sunday afternoon um it was really sparse i was really surprised at how thin the crowd was um but you know i don't know i i wasn't sure what to expect i i kept hearing um, that there were a lot of, uh, you know, it was it was doing really well, that it had kind of eked out ahead of Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2. Um, but I don't know. Uh, it just I, it didn't seem that way when I saw it at the theater. Gosh, I, you know, I, I guess I'm the counterexample. I went uh, at, you know, 10 o'clock on a Friday morning opening day uh, here in the States. And, you know, the theater I, I hit was the it, it wasn't 3D. It wasn't IMAX. It was the, the you know, Regal premiere yeah. experience, right? The RPX. And and it was um, they had renovated it. So it's hard to say, like, it looked really full. But all the seats are the big recliners now. Oh, all, OK. Uh, so yeah. so there are only three back rows of this uh, in the entire okay. theater. And then you have the big split and you have like f- five front rows. All the back rows were full uh, okay. Friday, 10 a.m., and the I would say just rough estimate that the front you know five rows were probably a third full, which is a lot for a 10 a.m. Friday morning, even open yeah, weekend. That is, yeah, really. that surprised that me. That's that's yeah. the the diehard fans that yeah wanted to make sure they saw it early. Okay, or were too scared to see it late at night. <laughs> yeah, right, <no>. right, <laughs> right. That, that's a whole other category. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we forgot to talk about the title because we we you know we it's alien covenant and uh you know we had prometheus and we i think there were you know people made a lot out of you know what that title meant and you know Wayland's you know quest to you know steal immortality from the gods and all that and here it's alien covenant what yeah, the heck it, does that mean why that title well i, I mean I, I was looking up on uh on the web as far as the definition it's and there's a you know, I mean, the basic definition is an agreement usually formal between two or more persons to do right. or not do something specified. But there is a biblical also a definition, the conditional right. promises made to humanity by God as revealed in Scripture. Uh, so I was like, OK, so again, maybe it's just Scott kind of hitting hitting us over the head a little too obviously with his references for these kind of religious or uh, this connection between humanity and its creator. Um, as far as uh, what he's trying to say here. Um, I don't know. I'm not sure we need these titles. I'm sure he could come up with something else, but... A- Alien Ark of the Covenant. Like, you know, it's yeah. a little bit too much. <laughs> yeah, because I, I was trying to figure out if it's the, the agreement between David and, you know, his creator about fulfilling this quest to find humanity's creator, but he strays from that by destroying the engineers. And then I thought, is it the agreement... Between the, uh, David which, as taking the role of taking the hand of creator, right. becoming the creator right. uh, with his creation. Right. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, it, but, but it's the name of the ship, you know, so I'm like the covenant. So that's, you know, what, you know, people on earth named that ship. So it's what they were, their agreement to go forth and, you know, colonize a planet. They've made this agreement to, to fulfill their, their mission. You know, it is I, an art, I don't know. after all. I mean, yeah, it is. Yeah, it's, it is. Uh, yeah, it's. It's yeah. the. Yeah, nope. I think trying trying to strive for something and and giving people not what they wanted or falling short of clearly communicating what you're trying to do. Yeah, this is one of those that I feel like 
you know, after we we saw Prometheus, we did Prometheus. After people chewed on it for a while, I, there were some theories that came out just that were super relevant and resonant and made a lot of sense. And I, I feel like this is one of those movies that I'll probably chew on. Bottom line, I mean, I liked it more than Prometheus. There was there was enough going on that that I was entertained by that I I liked it more than than you know uh, that which spawned it. And, uh, and, and so, you know, I'm not saying I'm not going to, I'm going to rush out and see it again in the theater, but you know, but you'll rush out and see the the next one that Ridley Scott has stated he's got ready to go. Only if we do a show on it, will I, will I rush, you know, (laughs) I'll see it, but you know, he hasn't, he hasn't lured you in saying, well, look, Prometheus was okay. This next one is better. So the next one. No, I still call this. I I feel like he has broken his covenant uh, with he's the people. He's broken his covenant to okay. me. I mean, really, he's certainly broken it with me. This is not like he's clearly has a different interest in the kind of movies he wants to make in this universe. That I feel like I don't need to uh, to to rush out and be a be a part of it. I I'm I am just fine, kind of sitting back and and watching this. Um, kind of, I, I wanted it to be a return to form for the series, and you know, I I, I think it's it's more pornography than art. You know, I mean, it's it is more the visual spectacle than uh, the the cultural statement. Absolutely. It just uh, I, he he is trying to get some big ideas and big themes into yeah. these. And uh, it's just not the series to do it. He really should just find something else to to get his ideas out, because I feel like he's taking a franchise and um, just, you know, hurting the overall franchise. I mean, I guess it already had the alien versus predator. Uh, injuries to it, and there were plenty of other. <laughs> do you know what uh, though? Like, I, I don't. I are you guys? Do you guys include those when you say you know? Oh, the alien movies. Do you include AVP? No, no. no. I, mean, but, I don't no, at all. But, they don't but, even enter my mind. No, no. But clearly, they were films that. I mean, honestly, they were just designed to be pure fun. It was like let's yeah. get these. T- it's like Freddy versus right. Jason. It's yeah. yes. You know, it's just it's silly nonsense. But um, no, I was just being cheeky. Uh, but still. Uh, Alien uh, Resurrection already uh, was uh, problematic. You know there have been issues with the with the franchise. Um, I just I keep feeling like Ridley Scott's an interesting uh, person. I mean he started the the series and he's made a lot of interesting films. It'd be great to get him back in here. And now that he is, I'm like gosh, now I kind of regret having wished that. <laughs> <laughs> this would be a great series to start bringing in some some other new uh, new talent. Yes, uh, so this would be a great series for that. The other thing we have to come back to is, is this the right sort of medium for this? Is it, you know, theatrical release or is he trying to get something larger that perhaps fits into like a a series, you know, instead of trying to cram all this story into two hours, is this something, give it some room to breathe, expand the universe that now that, you know, you know, streaming series and, and cable series give, you know, room for that. And people, audiences are willing to show up to those things and, you know, big numbers when it's quality stuff. I mean, maybe that's, you know, the decision, you know, filmmakers have to start considering is, is this a story that can be told in 120 minutes or is this a bigger story that to give the characters in this world, the time that it needs to break it into like a 10, you know, 10 hour series, throw it up on Hulu or Netflix, Amazon, something like that to, to give the story, the room perhaps that they want to tell. They need that breathing room for that big of a story rather than just cramming everything into, a, you know, a two hour contrived mess. Yeah, that's a really good point, Steve. Talking, I, yeah. You know, I think that's uh, I think that's I would watch that show. How about that? Andy, how did it do? You said it, it sounded like it was going to beat out Guardians. 
this weekend? Is that that's that's what I had heard. Um, you know, it's always just a prognostication. Yeah. Who really knows? But um, I mean, it uh, it had a production budget of like ninety seven million. I think I, I read that Ooh. it was like a total spent was a uh, you know close to twice that. As of today, it's made thirty six million in the U S. and eighty almost eighty two million. Uh, everywhere else so since it's opened i mean it started opening what may 4th i think over in london and it's made uh, as of today about 120 million so i mean it's likely going to make its money back and really will be making another one of these soon all right well i guess the only thing left to do with this thing is to crack it open and rank it oh yes yes indeed so we want to everybody head over to flickchart.com slash tnr film board for our rankings of all our film board films, let's see where this one shows up. All right, first up, it's a, an interesting, uh, an interesting I, one. I know, Alien <laughs> Covenant or The Circle. That's that's hilarious because that's where when I went to rank it on my own chart, that's the first thing that came up as well. Yeah, so I know where you're going to go. I have a feeling. Do you? <laughs> think so because you were you were really angry last month. I know, and I'm I'm really angry this month. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I am probably going to go Alien, though. Yeah. Only because it's a franchise <laughs> that I will watch. You know, I'll rewatch it, and I will shake my fist at it anyway. <laughs> I'm Alien Covenant as well. I, I there, there are problems, but... I think it's something that it it didn't give me it didn't make me angry a lot. There's things where you can sit back and enjoy some some moments in it. It's one that falls flat but isn't horrible, but it's it's you know amusing and entertaining. And I'll probably watch it a few more times and hopefully discover some more things about it. So there's no question. It's absolutely alien. <laughs> I have like I have flashbacks of Tony Monero when I think about the circle. <laughs> What? I, I think about Tony Monero dropping a healthy number two on a suit when I think about the circle. <laughs> Except it's the circle. Okay. I just don't I just didn't want Alien Covenant to be in our top half, but uh, you know, I couldn't put it you, over. Yeah, so, no, you oh well. can't do that. Yeah. All right. Alien Covenant or Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Definitely apes for me. Apes over aliens. Apes over aliens, yes. Wait, wait do you see Dawn of the Planet of the Apes versus Aliens? <laughs> oh, I can't wait. Oh, waiting for that day, Pete. Waiting for that day. <laughs> okay, Alien Covenant or Looper? Looper. Looper. Okay. <laughs> I st- you know, I, I've i seen Looper twice, and I, it, I'm still like, eh, it's all right. It's not, I, I wanted something that wowed me, and I'm like, eh, it's all right. I could go either way on this one. I'm fine with that. Alien Covenant or Snowden? Snowden. Snowden. Yeah. Deep. Really? Are we there? Yeah, I think so. I think yeah. I I enjoyed Snowden. I mean, it's a it'd be a gentleman's win anyway. I yeah. you know. Okay. Okay. Snowden. All right. Alien Covenant or side effects? Side effects, please. Side effects. Yeah. Side effects. Yeah. Okay. Because I th- I think with Snowden side effects, it's clear that there's something that the movie's trying to tell us, and here we. We're still not clear what we're supposed to take away from this thing. Well, this will be a fun one. Alien Covenant or The Finest Hours? <laughs> oh, Alien Covenant. I will watch that. I have no desire to see The Finest Hours again. <laughs> you guys, I'm definitely Finest Hours. I think you guys are way too hard on it. I I uh, I would say Finest Hours also. <laughs> That's right, Andy. Oh, You'll watch The sorry. Finest Hours like she did. Exactly. <laughs> 
I'll watch the finest hours just to have that thought run through my uh, head. You know, parenthetically, I have to say, it's not like uh, Alien Covenant is immune from the finest hour-isms. There was a lot oh, where yeah. oh, uh, yeah. it just feels like Ridley Scott has said, you know what, I think since 1979, audiences have gotten so stupid that I'm practically going to give them a diagram of what's going to go on in the movie because I don't think they're going to get it. Alien was such a great film about showing us just what was on screen, and Covenant failed. They just tell us everything. I'm sorry. He did give us diagrams. Remember, she unrolled them all on the table. That's right. right. She did. She unrolled them all on the table. Just like she did. Like she did. Well, that lands Alien Covenant at spot 29 out of 58. So it's it's now kind of right in that middle zone, uh, smashed between the finest hours and the circle. Wow. Uh, yes. We're we're going to see this again. I have oh, to yes. see where I have to see where this uh, where Prometheus uh, ended up on our chart. I'm very curious now. Let's see. Prometheus is uh, number 40. Oh, wow. Mm, so this okay. this landed 11 slots higher than Prometheus. Okay. Yeah. You know, that feels about right. I don't know. Does I feel not like feel I would, that right to you? <laughs> you know, I don't know. I, I ranked Prometheus uh, three and a half stars out of five last time, which I think is way too generous for that film. I wow. Think two and a half, it's a two one and a half, half star for me. Two, two and a half. Whoa. To one, yeah, to two is where I'd put Prometheus now. And I think I'm being more right on the money with this one. And I'm going to say I'm just going to give this one uh, a one and a half right now. Steve, you nailed it. I did. I did. Really I did. know. <laughs> I nailed that. Okay. Yes. I was like, he's, no way is he right. He totally <laughs> <right."> <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'm, I'm with you. In fact, I've been, as we have been recording this, I've been changing my star rating because I just, oh, no. I'm really vacillating on this. It's been going up a half star and down a half star, down another half star, well, maybe back up a half star. Uh, I landed on a two star uh, review for Alien Covenant. And, and again, that is an improvement over, the one and a half star for Prometheus. I did not like either of them. I'm going to give it two and a half. I mean, it's, it's uh, maybe on viewing it again, I might, if I find something more to it, it could push me up to a three or it could go down to two because there are things that I did enjoy, but uh, you know, on, you know, reflection and, you know, coming back to see it on a second time, it may reveal more flaws, but I'll, I'll settle for the two and a half for right now. And is that a yeah. like, or is that a two and a half, but you liked it, or two and a half, but you don't like it? Oh, it's two and a half, but I liked it. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we've got the no, the no likes uh, taking it on that. Yeah, one. I think so too. For an average. Well, that gives us an average of two stars. Two stars, no like. Two stars, sorry, no sorry. like. <laughs> I, you oh, know that that yeah. feels about right. Have you uh, have you all posted your reviews on uh, Letterboxd uh, so that we can we can pass those around? Uh, I haven't, but I will uh, after the show. I've been holding off now because I don't want people to look until the show's out. So no, I I totally failed. I wrote a whole bunch of them yesterday, and I accidentally posted them without thinking, and now they're just up there. So I'm I'm caught up. But <laughs> and it's uh, out there on the internet. And it's now just you can't out take there. It back. Yeah. So I I posted it yesterday, but um I, I'm going to I'm going to hold off now from from now on because that's what because Andy did. <laughs> Steve, are you are you posting your reviews? I have not. I, you know, I should. It's one of those things that I, I can rank it, and that's easy. But the the time to sit down and and do that, and I keep coming back to I. I don't know that I want to revisit my <laughs> my personal journal on films to realize I didn't know what I was talking about when I saw that movie the first time. 
Although it's it's intriguing, so I'm... You know, I'm that's what I have to say, Steve. Yeah. One of the things I like so much about Letterboxd is that every time you watch the movie, yeah. you get a chance to log and edit and create a new review. Yeah. And that yes. has really changed my opinion because I'm I'm feeling like I'm, I'm going to go forward and, and feel good about saying, okay, I, I watched again, I've changed my tune. Yeah, okay. And I, I like that too because like I said with, uh, with Prometheus, I, I still have it at three and a half stars, but I'm like, gosh, I really should rank that lower. But I'm like, well, hold off till I watch it again. And if so, then I'll make a note of that. But... You know, I, I like knowing that at least when I watched it, I thought it was a three and a half star film. So, you know, yeah. I there, I think there's a benefit. Agreed. Right. Everybody else should do that, too. And you should come come find us uh, on on Letterboxd and uh, and share your reviews if you haven't, because that's that's what we're that's the thing we're doing now. It is. You're yeah, here. It, you're here. So next up, what have we what have you guys got coming up uh, uh, next on the, the main show? Uh, we are right in the middle of our uh, return to the Hayao Miyazaki series. We're going to be uh, oh, talking yeah. about uh, Spirited Away, um, one of his uh, most popular films, and uh, just a couple more in that series. But uh, we're enjoying it so far. And I saw that on Slack, it led into an interesting discussion about subtitles that had, that I had <laughs> not expected because I was trying to explain this to uh, to my brother. He said, well, how did this whole like debate about subtitles? I said, I, I think it came from the Miyazaki series about watching it subtitled versus dubbed and people's preferences. And so it's interesting to see sort of how the discussion, how people have cited on the subtitled versus, you know, dubbed debate. So it's something that, you know, those people that are in that Slack group get to, you know, engage with us in debate. So which is, I find very entertaining. Absolutely. <laughs> if you too would like to debate subtitles versus dubbing. That sounds like that sounds like a conversation only three people are interested in. Come on. Seriously, you guys, it's that good. Subtitles versus dubbing. It's film nerd conversations. It is film nerd. It is. Hey, I'm right at home. Right at home. That's right. And what do we have coming up? We've got uh we're gonna be visiting Tom Cruise and the mummy next month, if I that's right. That's right. Information so, correct. So, yeah, another monster movie, another attempt to scare JJ. So, can and another wait. Tom Cruise movie. We'll see if we like it better than uh, Jack, Jack Reacher. Reacher. Jack Reacher. Uh, yeah, whatever the. We'll have to see called. how much how much running he does in the Mummy. We'll have to see if it fulfills. <laughs> as far as I know, <laughs> he just desire. spends most of his time crashing. This movie is about crashing. <laughs> There's oh, a lot of crashing oh, but in the Steve, you don't know about the trailers, I imagine. So j- trust me, no it's crashing. Oh, I. D- I, I did see the trailer without sound, so I did see that. Oh, good. Version. All right. So All that right. was, yes. Crashing. <laughs> so either you listen to it with your eyes closed, so you're you're hearing it with no pictures, or you're watching, <laughs> you're watching it with no it sound. With no sound. <laughs> <laughs> so any last comments? Round Final thoughts? I, I just wish that um, the return to the Alien franchise was what I wanted it to be. I just don't feel like uh, we're getting it, um, particularly with this film. I enjoyed uh, the return to you know really having aliens in a film, but uh, I just didn't get that actual movie that I wanted. I, I really wanted to see aliens, and uh, something that made reminded me of the films that we saw that uh, from '79 and '86, just not uh, not this. And uh, you know, I like that he's pursuing some ideas that he's kind of thinking about, but. Um, I'd rather him do that in a different film. So you're sounding like a grumpy old man. I want it like back when I was a kid, not this new <laughs> stuff. <laughs> this new fangled thinking. 
Exactly. There should be no thinking in my horror movies. None. <laughs> I, uh, you know, I'm, I'm with Andy. I'm disappointed because it just feels, uh, it feels uh, empty for my expectation. I recognize that's my expectation. And it's interesting as you look at the people behind the screenplay. You know, John Logan in particular. He's up for the next, uh, for writing the next Bond film. I mean, there's just the the, the team behind this uh, has done some some fantastic work in terms of screenwriting and have had some dogs. And I feel like I'm, I'm sad to say this feels like one of the dogs. Well, you know, out there in the vastness of space, no one can hear you scream in anguish of your frustration with Ridley Scott. Even Ridley can't hear you scream. (laughs) Exactly. So everyone, thank you for listening. Drop a dollar for us on Patreon. You can get in on that subtitles versus dub debate. Give us a rating and review on iTunes or your podcast app of choice. And no matter if it's a question or a comment, we love hearing from you. So drop us a line, Twitter, Facebook. We're here for you. Andy, according to my friend, Internet, this is what Letterboxd is. Letterboxd is a global social network for grassroots film discussion and discovery. Use it as a diary to record and share your opinion about films as you watch them, or just keep track of films you've seen in the past. Showcase your favorites on your profile page. That is a lot. You bet it is. That's why I want you to tell our fair listeners just one thing you do with Letterboxd that has changed the way you watch movies. Let them have it. Okay, are you ready for this? So ready. I love lists. As of today, I have 246 lists in my account. I use them to track the movies I watch, organize them in all sorts of different ways. I track them by hand. I clone lists from other people. I use them to plan what I'm going to be watching. All sorts of things. I just, I love creating lists. It's a fantastic tool. Sexiest animated characters. Andy, what is this? We love Letterboxd. And if you're a movie lover, we are sure you will too. And when you upgrade from the free account, you will remove ads and support the great Kiwi team building this amazing service. Just use the discount code NEXTREEL or visit thenextreel.com slash letterboxd to get 20% off your pro or patron membership. And it works for renewals as well.